0: Time
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks for being here this morning. As always, would you stand with us and hear now the psalm that's being read all over the world. It says, shout triumphantly to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with celebration. Come before him with shouts of joy because the Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever. His faithfulness lasts generations after generation. Let us sing to this Lord now.
2: All right, we're going to worship the Lord this morning. Good morning to you online. We we, uh, are hoping that you're singing with us in your homes. Let's sing it. Praise is rising. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Oh stirring, hearts are yearning for you, we long for you, cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day, amen, yes Lord, and in your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away, Jose. Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord, we welcome you here hear the sound of hearts returning to you, return to you, and in your kingdom, broken lives are made new, you make us new. As when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, a God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna Come have your way among us We welcome you here, Lord Jesus Cause when we see you We find strength to face the day And in your presence All our fears are washed away Let's sing that again. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises Hosanna Hosanna Come have your way among us We welcome you here Lord Jesus Come have your way among us We welcome you here Lord Jesus Alright, let's sing, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. One more time. Yeah. Yeah. As we come into your presence, we remember every blessing that you poured out so freely from above. Lifting gratitude and praises for compassion so amazing. Lord, we come to give you thanks for all you've done. Because of your love, we're forgiven. Because of your love, hearts are clean. We lift you up, songs of freedom, wherever we're changed, because of your love. Yeah, yeah, as we come into your presence, we remember every blessing that you poured out so freely from above, lifting gratitude and praises for compassion so amazing, Lord we come to give you thanks for all you've done, because of your love we're forgiven, because of your love hearts are clean, we lift you up, songs of freedom, forever we're changed, because of your love, let's sing that again, because of your love, we're forgiven, because of your love hearts are clean, we lift you up, songs of freedom, forever we're changed, because of your yeah, yeah, say yeah, yeah. Lord, we are so grateful to be here praising you, singing songs of freedom, singing songs of joy and gathering. We are so glad to sing upbeat songs and to just have a positive, joyful attitude this morning as we gather together online and in real life. Lord, we are grateful for the church that you have created, for the table church that you have created, Lord. We are We are your church. We're here to praise you, worship you, and be together in your name. Lord, we do believe that you have created this church and you have brought us together to be one church. We praise you and we thank you for that. We are grateful that you have done that for us. Lord, we promise to work with our hands and the sweat of our brow to make that happen in in your name. And that also, Lord, we uh, promise to sacrifice, uh, sleeping in, to be here together, either digitally or in real life. Lord, it is a sacrifice, and it is a small sacrifice, Lord, of sleep to have a greater joy in praising your name and being in church together. Lord, we know that it is what we need and what our hearts desire, so we are grateful to do that. So we praise you, and we thank you for this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be
3: seated. Amen. And uh, kiddos, we are going to have you stay in here with your parents. Uh, but parents, if we need to have somebody uh, step out for a little bit, the kids table room is going to be open with some little stations set up um, already to be cleansed and sanitized in between services. So Uh, That is available to you. Also, we're going to be streaming in that room so you will not miss out on anything. You will be with us um, digitally in the other room. So that's good. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, We're also trying another little something new today. We are almost, uh, we're going paperless uh, for today. We're going to give it a try. We're going to see how it goes. Uh, so there's a QR code right there that you can have access to our bulletin, um, our blue card, our connection card, and, um, then also a link to giving online. If you are here with us in the building, we still have envelopes available to you and you can certainly, um, do giving that way. Um, but if not, um, then we have these uh, digital options for you. Uh, So the bulletin just goes over our order of worships, lets you know what we're gonna be talking about today, area for you to take some um, notes on. And then the blue card is our connection card. It helps us get to know who is with us here. And just some area for you to mark some boxes on where you're at in your walk with Christ or your walk with us here at the table and how we can come alongside you and support you in that. On the back side of that blue card or um, that connection card, there's an area for some prayer requests. So if you're walking through something specific that you need some extra prayer for, uh, we are happy to do that. Just let us know. Uh, There's also um, a box for you to check whether you want us to share it just amongst the pastoral staff um, or a larger group of folks that can continue to pray for you throughout the week. Um, And then the next thing, I don't know if I have very many more announcements, but ultimately I did want to say that we forgot to mention last week uh, two things. Number one, our all together gathering that has been happening on Wednesdays. We are no longer going to do that because we are able to uh, gather here in the building and see each other and be face to face. So we're going to forego that right now. Um, Also, James is going to continue to do the 8.30 um, in the morning devotional time. So that will still be happening. So if you are uh, not able to be with us, not able to connect with us here in the building, and you still would like that, um, or even if you are and you still like that, because I know I do, uh, we're still connecting 8.30 in the morning, uh, James, with the devotional.
1: Thank you so much, Miranda. As you all know, we started a new sermon series last week, and so if you would take a moment, would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this time, that we may come and hear from your word to receive from you, to be uh, encouraged, equipped, challenged by you. Lord Jesus, would you be with us as we read stories that are familiar? And sometimes that can be the issue for us, is that sometimes things are too familiar. So help us to see with fresh eyes and ears, what it is that you have for us. And we will give you praise and thanks and say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We are doing summer stories, going through some old Testament stories that we've heard maybe a few times in our life. And we are going to be um, looking at them with fresh eyes, seeing what's happening, what's going on. Uh, As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. That's one of the phone numbers that we are talking about. I'm going to move my easel to the center so everyone is more able to see them. I'm doing some coloring today. So is this going to block the screen? It is. And uh, here's essentially what we're doing. We are learning and relearning the old stories, going through them. We're not asking the question, is it true or is this history? Those are questions that get us distracted, really. The questions that we're going to be asking is, why do we tell this story? What is the logic of the story? What, is this, what does God want to tell us through this story? Last week, we talked about Noah, or Noah's Ark, or Noah and the Ark. And what we learned is that the Ark is just a vessel. It's just part of the story. The real meaning about Noah is that, is that Noah was supposed to be a savior, and yet he plunged humanity back into division, slavery, and discord. Like, that's the real meaning behind the story. The, the Ark is, is great, and it was part of his salvation plan, um, God's salvation plan for humanity, but ultimately... What we learn is that Noah is human and even though he's the best of humans, he still has all this division, discord, disunity inside of him and he plunges humanity back into it. Oh, I just said that because he's human and that's what we all do. It's a story to help us understand that we have this brokenness inside of us and even when God starts over, we will find a way to mess it up. Today, we are talking about Jonah. Jonah and the whale, maybe you've heard it, or Jonah and the big fish. The text actually says it's a big fish, doesn't say whale, but we could call it either way because uh, I don't know if you know, uh, the big fish is only mentioned in three sentences in the whole story. It's not the main part of the story. It's not even an important part of the story. It is uh, uh, something that God uses, another vessel to further the story to something else, which is what we're going to talk about today. What's going on with the book of Jonah? Jonah. Here's what's happening in Jonah. Uh, he, it's a book about a prophet, but it's not of God speaking through this prophet. It's a story about this prophet. It's the only book like this in the Old Testament. This is this is wild. Maybe it's one of the reasons why we uh, like this story so much is because it's a story. It's not a, a collection of words or poems. Jonah's the bad guy in the story. I don't know if that's new information to you, but he's not the good guy. Yes, he's the prophet. Yes, he's the man of God. Yes, God has a message to speak through him, but he is... The most faithless character in the whole story. Terrible, bad guy. Well, let's get into it. The book ends on a question. So I don't have points for us today. I have questions for us. It's probably going to be some of our least favorite Sunday because I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to send you home thinking about it. The book ends with God asking Jonah a question. That's the end of the story. And so I'm just going to ask you three questions, really. Well, probably 100 questions, but three main questions. Questions, and I have to tell you, the whole book of Jonah is a satire. And if you don't know satires, you can think like SNL, Saturday Night Live. What it does is it takes famous people. Sorry, my microphone, y'all. Uh, it takes satire takes famous people, and uh, what that does is uh, puts them in extreme situations, like celebrities or politicians. In this case, a religious person puts them in extreme situations for us to laugh at them or to make fun of them, but ultimately we're making fun of ourselves for being someone that admires celebrity, for being someone that admires politicians, for being someone who admires these people. Really, when I think of Jonah, you know that that scene in a spy movie where someone's maybe walking down an alleyway or they're sitting in their hotel room and it, everything's calm and peaceful and you think it's gonna be a moment of peace and then all of a sudden that red dot from like a sniper scope ends up on their chest, and they all dive out of the way, right? Like, this is what Jonah is, is you're reading this story, and you're supposed to be like, what a jerk, Jonah. What a terrible guy. How could he possibly think and believe and act this way? And then at the end of the story, when God asks the questions, you're supposed to look down and see the red dot on your chest. That's this whole deal, and so I'm going to ask you the questions, and uh, hopefully you walk out here feeling a little bit convicted, a little bit like you got punched in the gut. Uh, but ultimately, I think that's why we're here. We like that. We like that pain of God asking us hard questions. Here's an outline for the story, and I'm going to start drawing right now. It's four chapters, and I'm going to ask you guys to read it this week. Very short. Um, four, and let's go through the characters, too, real quick. Four main characters. Jonah, bad guy, right? Then there's uh, these sailors, Tell me some stereotypes about sailors. What are they supposed to be? Drunk, rough, tumble, curse, use bad language. Men of the sea, salty dogs. These sailors, paper-thin consciences. They love God or God so much. They're praying all the time. The prophet is on board, and they're going to be the ones that are like, hey, shouldn't we be praying? Like, they are the religious people in the story. That's how you know it's satire. Everything's upside down. The prophet is a jerk. The sailors are the ones who are reminding everyone that they should be praying. Uh, Next one is probably the fish or the the whale. Three sentences, y'all. Not important vessel. Um, It has a ton of symbolic meaning. We do not have time to get into it. Then there's Nineveh. There's no kids in here, right? I wasn't going to say this if so there's kids in here. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. It's the biggest, baddest empire on the planet. And It's the capital city. And this is where God's going to ask Jonah to go. Here's what the Assyrians would do. They would show up into your country. They would find your leaders. They would skin them alive in front of everybody. Then they would kill them. And then they would march everybody off to their capital city. And then they would disperse them to faraway lands separately, so they didn't have anyone to speak their language to, so they didn't have anyone to understand their cultures to. And God tells Jonah, the prophet, to go talk to your sworn enemy, the capital of Nineveh. They're terrible, awful, no good, very lousy people. Everything in the story is huge, too. It's like a comic book. The storm is huge, and the whale is huge, and then the city is huge, and everything's huge. Everything's huge. These are the four main characters. Chapter one, Chapter one, Jonah, we got Jonah plus the sailors. He's talking to people that are not religious, they're not Jewish. Chapter two, Jonah's talking to God. He prays. It's this big, long prayer that I encourage anyone who's going through a hard time to read. It's a beautiful prayer inside the belly of this fish. Chapter three, Jonah talks to Nineveh, more talking to people who are not religious, who don't know the God of the universe. In chapter four, uh, more prayer. He talks to God. Most of us have never heard chapter four because all the children's stories cut it out. They take it out, almost every single one. Most of us know the book of Jonah through veggie tales. Um, and so we get this, uh, we get a, a Uh, sometimes a watered-down understanding, and usually they try to pull one moral from the story, and the moral is usually something like be nice or be obedient, and uh, Jonah is so much more subversive and beautiful and deep. It it has so many layers that I'm going to miss 90% of it today. I'm just going to hit on some big themes. But there's four chapters. One and three, he's talking to people who don't know God. Two and four, he's talking to God. And it ends with a question. This is where we are. So I'm going to start off with the beginning of chapter 1, as always. Section 1, Tarshish versus Nineveh. There are no kids in here, and so we have to watch kids' video. I'm sorry to put you through this, but it'll help us understand this better. Um, We're going to start with this video, and um, it's just the first couple seconds to set us up for the story. But notice right away, heroes of the Bible already got it wrong. Jonah's the worst. Do not follow Jonah in any bit. But um, I'm gonna start this, ready Clayton? Three, two, one.
4: Heroes of the Bible, Jonah. This is Jonah. Uh-huh. Jonah was a prophet. That means it was his job to tell people what God told him to say. Yep. One day, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh because the people of Nineveh were doing bad things. But instead, Jonah ran away and went to the port to board a ship. Going the other way, he was hoping to get away from God. He sailed for a place called Tarshish. That's it.
1: That's the first part. I know you want to watch the rest. This is made by one of the biggest churches in the country, one of the most influential uh, churches in the country, and they're talking about Jonah being a hero of the Bible. But the first three sentences tell us that God asked him to do something, and he ran in the opposite direction. So here's what it says. The Lord's word came to Jonah. That's how you know this is a book about a prophet, because they all begin with the Lord's word came to somebody. Jonah, Amittai's son. Jonah means dove. Amittai means faithfulness. He is the dove of faithfulness who is not faithful or peaceful at all. And God says, get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their evil has come to my attention. So Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord. Yeah, let's get into that. But first of all, I need to ask you this question. Where do you want to go on vacation? Throw it out. Greece. I love it. Anybody else have anywhere they want to go? Caribbean, that's right. One more. Yeah. I love, you guys set me up perfectly. All those places are exotic, and they, you know, like, uh, I don't know the other, but there's just like, there's an exoticness to them. There's a differentness. There's a This is what Tarshish is. So, so Jonah's here. God asks him to go here, capital city of Nineveh. He's going to go down to Joppa to catch a boat to go to Tarshish. Tarshish was the furthest possible place that, that, that people in Israel could conceive of. Literally the end of the world, the last port. And it was this place that was exotic, and it had all these riches. And it was the place where if you wanted to be somebody, you, you, you were from Tarshish. Obviously, they didn't know about America or Native Americans. This is, the, this is in Spain, right? Like the Straits of Gibraltar, it's the last port before the Great Sea. That's where Jonah's going the opposite direction as far as he can go to this exotic place like Greece or the Caribbean or Hawaii. It's just far away, different, beautiful, lavish. Jonah is running to Tarshish. God wants him to go to the capital city of his sworn enemies, running the opposite way. And what this opening scene sets for us is that sometimes we have a picture of what the good life is, And sometimes God has a picture of what the good life is, and those are often conflicting. They often don't go together. I mean, sometimes they do. But for Jonah, Tarshish is the good life. And God is going to get in his way and send him to somewhere where he does not want to go, the bad life, danger, or just his enemies. And so the question that immediately arises for all of us And this is my first point, but it's a question. What do we do when our idea of the good life goes against God's idea of the good life? How do we reconcile that? How do we open ourselves up to it? How do we awake to this idea that what I want is not always what God wants? That's your first question. I'll tell you how Jonah awakes. He ends up in the belly of a fish. He didn't do any, there's no three steps to waking up to this. I couldn't, I could write a book about it, but I, there's, there's no steps you could take practically. Uh, really what happens is that Jonah has to throw up his hands in defeat, thinking that he's about to die, and I pray that that does not happen to any of you, that we can find ways to wake up before them. Section two is about going down. Five times this word down is used, and Jonah's going to take everyone with him. Here's our version. The English version has down a bunch of times, but in the Hebrew, it's even more. Five, six times. Uh, I got a little bit of a video to give us the next part of this story, and I'm going to get ready. Are you ready, Clayton? Three, two, here you go, guys.
4: While he was at sea. God sent a great and powerful wind over the sea that caused a storm that seemed like it would break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the sailors tried everything they could think of to save the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah was sound asleep, so the captain went down and said, How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will help us. Then, the crew figured out that Jonah was the reason for the storm, Uh and they asked him, who are you? Why is this happening to us? Jonah told them who he was, and that he worshipped the one true God who made the sea. Then, he told the sailors to throw him in the sea, so the storm would stop. No, why? The sailors still tried to escape the storm, but it was no use. So they asked God for forgiveness and threw Jonah into the sea. The storm stopped at once. The sailors were amazed at God's power and they vowed to serve him. Now God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and nights.
1: So much of that part is, is correct, which I love. Uh, but here's what happens. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. He goes down to Joppa, catches a boat, and he goes to, uh, he's going to Tarshish. A giant storm comes, as you just saw, right? A giant storm comes that you just saw that God had sent. But this isn't God being angry. This isn't God sending lightning bolts. This is, this is a parent pursuing a wayward child. This is mercy being poured out on Jonah, trying to help him get on the right path. What happens though is he goes down to Joppa and he goes down inside the boat and he lays down and he goes down into a deep sleep. And the whole while, everything is falling apart around him. Who's anxious? Who's worried? Who's concerned for their life? The sailors. They identify something happening is divine right this moment. There's a storm that's happening. God is trying to speak to them. But they're, they're polytheists, so they're, they're, they're dividing up gods. You pray to this one, you pray to this one, you pray to this one. You we're going to try to figure out which one's mad at us, and we're going to start praying. Finally, they realize the prophet of God is down sleeping. He's peaceful in his rebellion against God, right? Everybody else is in turmoil, and they come to him, and they say, Can you please pray to your God? And he comes up and he says, I follow the God who made the land. I worship, I revere, I honor, I fear the God who made the land and the sea. And sometimes people try to paint that as a good thing, but he's being a total hypocrite because the text very clearly tells us that he told them he's running away from that God. He's trying to flee to Tarshish already. They said, can you please pray? They cast lots, they roll the dice, they figure out that it's Jonah's fault. Jonah, what should we do? Jonah says, you need to throw me into the ocean. Some people see this as Jonah being selfless. But really what the story is saying is, how do you get away from doing what God wants you to do? Be dead, right? Like that's how you can get away from this mission that God has called you to if you're dead. Jonah is ultimately giving all the way up on going to Nineveh. And he doesn't even have the guts to jump into the seat himself. He's going to make these innocent sailors who are trying to worship uh, uh, faithfully He's, he wants them to throw them in. They decide they're not going to do it. But then they try to row back to sea so that ultimately he can go to Nineveh. The boat doesn't go anywhere. They ultimately throw Jonah into the sea. <sighs> and the storm stops, and they become faithful converts to Judaism on the spot. <laughs> they says they worship the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah goes down, down. And you think he's going to die, and he gets eaten by fish, and it looks like the end for him, right? This is where we are. But it's Jonah's sin. It's Jonah's rebellion that takes him down, 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 and it threatens everybody around him. The questions I'm asking here, who is worried, and where is Jonah? The the sailors are worried. Jonah's sleeping. Who is praying and worship God? The first people to pray in this is not the prophet of God. It's these salty sailors, and why throw overboard? Not because he's being selfless, but because he wants to die to get away from this mission that God has for him. Jonah's selfishness leads to the people around him getting hurt. And here's one of the things we believe in our culture. We believe we can basically do whatever we want as long as we don't hurt others. And, and if anybody else is involved, they have to be consenting, right? And, and, and this is like conservatives and progressives. Everybody believes this, essentially. Do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt others and everyone who's involved is consenting. And God has a different picture here. That the decisions we make, that the moral decisions for bad or for good, the character decisions we make, the, the, as, we, as we're making these decisions, we're, we're building a wall that's going to turn out to be who we are. When we make a thousand decisions. Ultimately, what God is saying is that if you make a thousand bad decisions, that ultimately that, that personality, that character, those decisions are, are going to spill out onto the people around us. It's not just you. It's not just what you want to do. It doesn't matter if you're trying to hurt people or not. If you're going to make these terrible decisions, you're going to endanger the people around you. And so the next question that I think comes from this story is, how long until our decisions and our character ultimately spill over onto the others around us, for good or for bad? You may think it's about you and Jesus, or you may think you're not doing anything to hurt anybody else, but your character, your decisions, the the way that you act and move in the world, we're more connected than just me doing whatever I want as long as I'm not hurting anybody or everybody else agrees to it. Like, you have influence and power, and and, and the way that we're connected, it can spill over onto other people, and that's one of the second lessons I take from this story is that Jonah's bad decisions and dangers. All these people, not only the sailors, but the Ninevites, the Ninevehites, however you say it. Section three and four, we're talking about enemies. We're talking about going to Nineveh. If you have questions so far, start sending them because we are wrapping up. Uh, But we're going to watch the last part of this video. My man Clayton's going to hit it at the same time as me. Three, two, one.
4: Jonah prayed to God from inside the fish, and God ordered the fish to spit Jonah out. God told Jonah again to go to the city of Nineveh to tell them what God had said about them. I get it, I get it. This time, Jonah obeyed God and went to Nineveh to deliver God's message. The people of Nineveh stopped doing bad things and turned to God. They were saved because they listened to the message that God had given Jonah.
1: That story leaves out all of chapter 4, the most important chapter in the whole book. And that's how the children's story is usually in. So here's what happens in chapter 2. He's inside the belly, and he prays. And it's a beautiful prayer, but he never says he's sorry. But he does thank God for never abandoning him, and he promises to be obedient. It's a beautiful prayer for anyone who's going through something really hard. I encourage you, whether it's because your own bad decisions have hurt your life or somebody else's bad decisions have spilled over onto you. This is an important prayer, but I'm not going to touch it. You, you have to go read it for yourself. Chapter three, he goes to Nineveh. And this paints it like he's a good prophet that stands in the town square and he says something to them. That's not at all what happens. Uh, He has a five-word prayer in Hebrew. He says something like, in 40 days, I'm not going to write, in 40 days, Nineveh overthrown. He doesn't tell them what their sin is. He doesn't tell them anything about God. He doesn't tell them who's upset with them. He just says the bare minimum He's the worst, very worst prophet. Does not try hard at all, does not talk about Jesus or God. He does not talk about their sins, what they need to do to repent. He just says, In 40 days, your whole town is going to be overturned. Also, the story says it's three days' walk. He doesn't even go to the center. He says, a- After a day, he just stopped and he says, In 40 days, Nineveh overturned. And here's what happens the story's correct. The video we just watched, everybody. Everybody changes their life, turns their life around. The people start lamenting and crying, and they put on ashes and sackcloth to to be in mourning. It gets to the king. The king, I mean, the most powerful person in the world at the time is on his knees crying out to God that God would change God's mind and not overthrow their city, right? He makes a decree that everybody, from the king to the cow's, have to be in mourning and fasting. So the cows are mourning and fasting in this story. They don't eat for days. Everybody, see, no grazing, no drinking water. Everybody from the king to the cows totally repents and gives their life to Jesus. (laughs) This is a come to Jesus moment. Jonah is the very worst prophet, and yet God uses him to do something amazing for their very worst enemies, and everybody changes. And you would think that would be the end, and you think Jonah's heart would be changed, but it's not. This is chapter four. I'm obviously not going to read all of it, but I have it up here in case you want to follow along. Jonah goes outside the city and he is angry. He thought this was utterly wrong and he became angry and he sits on a hillside overlooking Nineveh. And I think he's hoping that they're, they will repent from their repentance and God will ultimately destroy them and wipe them off the map. So he prays to the Lord this is what he says. Come on, Lord. Wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in, on my, in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish. He's going to tell us. And it's not because he's afraid of the biggest, baddest empire on the planet. He says, I know that you are merciful and compassionate. You are very patient and you are full of faithful love and you are willing not to destroy. He fled because he did not want his enemies to experience God's compassion and love. He hated them, and he wanted them destroyed, and he knew that if he went as a prophet and spoke God's word, that God would have compassion and love for them, because that's who God is. Faithful, compassionate, patient, and does not want to harm or destroy so that's what he's mad at. He uses God's own words, God's own compassion against him and says, this is why I fled, because you're too compassionate. And he says, at this point, take my life from me. And he just keeps saying, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. And the Lord responds twice. Is your anger a good thing? Just questions, right? Just questions. Is your anger a good thing? And then it says that a Job, a Job, Jonah, he made for himself a little booth, a little tent, and he sat under it. it was hot, there in the middle of the desert. And then God made this, this beautiful plant to come and over him to shade him. In a night, it springs up miraculously. And ha- job is ha- Jonah. Jonah is happy about it. And then the next night, God creates this little worm I don't know how to draw a worm after I just drew plants like that. And the worm destroys the plant. And Jonah gets angry that his plant is missing and now he's in the hot sun again. And God says, is your anger about the shrub a good thing? And here's the end of the book. Jonah says, yes, my anger is good, even to the point of my own death. Please just kill me. That's the last time Jonah speaks. And God has a couple more questions. You pitied the shrub. You pitied the plant for which you didn't work in which you didn't raise, and it grew up in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left hand, and also many animals? Here's the questions that God are asking us. That's up there. He's saying, why do you care more about your comfort than that community? Why do you care more about that plant that you've only known for less than 24 hours than you do for all those human beings over there? Why is your comfort worth more than their humanity? And the very last question that I think is being asked here, and it's asked of you, remember that site, and it's asked of me. What do we do with a God who loves and cares about our enemies too? Are you open to a movement of grace, of mercy, of compassion, not just for you, but for the people that you don't like, for the people that you don't think deserve it, for the ones who've treated you bad. And here's the problem is in American culture, it's not very posh, it's not very um, uh, vogue to have enemies, but scriptural definitions, we have lots of them and I see the way that our communities are divided over things like politics, uh, right? Uh, I mean, like, sometimes I'm thinking sports. Like, Raiders fans definitely deserve some hate, um, (laughs) for sure. But politics divides us. But all kinds of things. There's all kinds of communities that divide us, right? I I mean, essentially... God's asking Jonah to go into the, I don't know who your enemy is, into the heart of Antifa or the heart of the KKK, right? And preach a a word of compassion and love to them that God cares about them. Or maybe it's a country like North Korea, or maybe it's Republicans and Democrats, or maybe it's gay people or homeless people or whoever those people are that we struggle with in our hearts. Is your God big enough to not only give you love and compassion but also have love and compassion on those who we think deserve it least. Or maybe it's just family members. Someone who's hurt us. An ex, a parent, a child, an uncle or an aunt. Is God big enough to have compassion on even them? And are you open to a movement of grace for God to do good things in their life? Can you imagine how radical this story is in this context? Assyria came in and wiped out 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. We have never, ever found them ever again. The 10 tribes have been lost for 3,000 years. Assyria did that. And in the middle of their Bible is a story about how God loves them too. We probably don't have an equivalent for that in our hearts But I think we can still ask the question if our God is big enough to love even the people we don't. Let me just say quickly, Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. They're both called by God, but Jesus heads towards Jerusalem instead of Jonah, who heads away from Nineveh. Jonah does not want to die. Jesus doesn't. Oh, Jonah wants to die. Jesus doesn't. Jesus does die. Jonah doesn't. Both in the tomb for three days and three nights. Jesus uses this story to describe himself. He says, "I'm not going to give them any more miracles because the people keep asking for signs and signs and signs." He says, "I'm not going to give them any more signs except the sign of Jonah, and they don't understand what it means. But what he he, he takes it to mean is that he's going to be in the belly, or the tomb, or the earth. He's going to be swallowed up by this monster called death. But in three days he's going to be spit out. And here's what Jesus does afterwards." Je- Jonah is vomited out to bitterness and anger and all he wants to do is die because God is so compassionate. And Jesus creates a community called church that welcomes all, including our enemies. Are there any questions for us? You might have them out loud. You might have them on my phone, which I have right here. I'm going to check. Also, there's online folks, so feel free to send those if you want.
2: Oh, go ahead. What are, some, what are some attitudes and indicators of you having an enemy? Because Christians love to say, I don't hate anyone. But then yeah. when it comes to like function,
4: like functional hatred, yeah. I'm curious. Like what,
2: what things I might say to myself. Like yeah. those guys, like I don't hate them, but they're scumbags, or I
1: don't know. One of the things I love best about us as Americans okay. is that we really do think the best of us, and I love that, and so we do say things like, we don't, I don't hate anybody, um, the, but the Bible would talk about, so love and hate aren't emotions as much as their actions, and so, um, and Jesus talks a lot about fruit, and so what are our, what are our actions towards people, and so um, hate there would be something more akin to like, do you want those people to live well, do you want them to thrive, And, slash, are you willing for them to be expendable so that you could thrive, right? Are you willing for people to have a bad life so that you could have comfort, which is that very first question. The second question? No, that's the last question. Is our comfort, that plant thing, right? Is our comfort worth more than their humanity? Why do we care more about our own comfort than their survival? And so those are the two ways I would talk about it, Um. Do you want them to have a good life? And second, right? Do you uh are you willing for them to be expendable so that you can have a good life? Those would be the kind of the questions at least from this text about what hatred is, about what love is. Did you have one back here, dad? Yeah. That's great. Yes. So here's the deal. I see this so much. The church is a very imperfect witness, right? And oftentimes the world can see our hypocrisy a mile away. We will be like Jonah and we will say, We worship the Lord who made the earth and the seas, and yet we also live like we are fleeing away from God, like we are heading to Tarshish. Our actions don't match our words. People who have gone to church their whole lives know the right words to say. The Lord that made the heaven and the seas, I worship him. But our actions don't match. And God still uses him for these sailors to come to a Jesus moment and have faith. So you don't have to have a perfect witness. But I also would say, Jonah is not to be our example. Here. <laughs> not, like, ultimately, God wants our words to match our, our actions. But even when we are imperfect, God can still use us to do. Yes. In fact, God only ever uses imperfect people. Um, But Jonah is extra imperfect. (laughs) Like He's willfully imperfect. But yes, absolutely, that's a great point. Okay, let's break this down. I thought I got a text, but I can't access it. So sorry, everyone who sent that text. With our head, our idea of God, uh, our idea of the good life, uh, and God's idea of the good life are often way different. Our moral decisions and character will impact others around us. You are not an island. What you do and think and how you make decisions will spill out on others. And the encouragement is to, be, uh, to do so in a good way. And with our hands, God loves us and our worst enemies. Followers of Jesus cannot prioritize our own comfort over other people. And here's your spiritual practice. I would love for you to read the book of Jonah this week. I would love for you to. It's just four chapters short. You probably could do it in 15 minutes. It's in the middle of your Old Testament. Take your time. Oh, somebody wants to know about the symbolism of the fish. Multiple times in the Old Testament, the symbolism is this. People said, We have sinned. We are going to be swallowed, but it's usually by an enemy like Assyria or something. And we're praying that if we repent, We will be spit out. This happens in the Psalms. This happens in Hosea, this idea of being swallowed up. Sometimes in the Psalms, they talk about a sea monster, a literal sea monster, not a literal. They're talking literally about a sea monster, but it's figuratively about a country or a plague or something. And so somebody took this language of being swallowed up by their own sin and rebellion, and they turned it into a literal sea monster. And so this fish is there, and Jonah really does enter into the belly of a fish. But the symbolism is that his own sin has swallowed him up. And it is only by his prayer and repentance and God's grace that this fish spits him out. By the way, the word is not spit. It's vomit. You saw me use it twice. The fish vomits him out. Thanks for that question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this movement of grace you have for us, that you have so much compassion and love for us. Now, as we come to a time of communion, would you be present in the elements? Would you help us to chew on this bread and this cup? Would you help us to chew on this story and these questions that you leave us with about how big you are and how much love you have for us and for others? And whether or not our ideas of you can hold a God so big with a compassion so great that even the people we don't like get it. We also come now to the cup and the bread realizing that we are unworthy. We don't deserve compassion or grace. That we, like all humans, are falling short of your glory. And we deserve deserve, uh, frustration and anger from you but you like Jonah says are compassionate you have faithful love you are not willing to harm but you want only what is best for us so Lord as we come now to this time of communion as this time of communing with you you, would you be present would you be with us would you help us to experience a bit of who you are a bit of that compassion a bit of that love And now, Lord, as a church, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray it with me, saying, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. At the table, we celebrate the Lord's table every week. When you are ready, please come forward or raise your hand. I'd be happy to bring this to you. It's two cups. Bottom is bread, top is juice. You can leave the extra cups in your seat. We'll throw them away later. I'm going to have Clayton lower the lights a little bit. Come when you are ready.
2: the highest good welcome I was lost but he brought me in all oh, his love for me oh, his love for me who oh, the sun sets free oh is free I'm a child of God, yes I am Free at last He has ransomed me, His grace runs deep While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me Yes, He died for me. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free in me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, There's a place for me, I'm a child of God, yes I am. I am chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free Though is free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I am In my Father's house There's a place for me I'm a child of God Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am I am who you say I am. Yes, Lord, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, is free. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. My father's. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. O oh Lord And take not Thy Holy Spirit From me Restore Unto me The joy of Thy salvation And renew A right spirit Within me O oh, cast me not away joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me and renew a right spirit and renew a right spirit within me if you're still
1: sitting would you please stand now and hear the benediction it comes from second thessalonians two sixteen through 17 And it says, may Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and a good hope, encourage your hearts and give you strength in every good thing you do or say. May it be so this week and in the weeks to come. Read that book of Jonah. Have a lovely week. Go in peace. Happy birthday, Dad.